When we weren't hoodwinked by the European Union, um, we were hoodwinked by our own politicians. Welcome to another episode uh, of our podcast and today we're going to talk about Brexit as if we haven't talked about Brexit uh, for the last four years and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, our guest today, um, uh, Sir Desmond Swain, uh, British Conservative MP uh, for the New Forest and uh, Desmond is I think by its own admission a very strong Brexiteer uh, and the whole idea of the podcast as you know is to try and burst our our bubbles to try and take us out of um, the positions that we normally take and to give us views from the other side. Uh, and I hope Desmond will do that uh, with us today. So you're very welcome, Desmond. Thank you. Um, you're a long time in politics, a former Minister for International Development. Um, you uh, were there in the time of, uh, of many previous uh, late, uh, Conservative administrations. You've seen them come and you've seen them go, Des. I have. Uh, and on the issue of Brexit, it was that that brought me back, in, brought me into politics, got me interested in politics in, at the very beginning. In the 1975 um, referendum, I was 18 and voting for the first time and campaigned for a no vote back then. So my position hasn't changed. I was watching some of your speeches. Actually, I found myself on YouTube getting caught down a, a rabbit hole that led me to former, former Margaret Thatcher's, Thatcher's speeches as well. And you, you said in one of your speeches that people stop you in the street and say, you know, when are we leaving? And this was prior to, 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 to the Brexit debate. And so I suppose what we often struggle with in Ireland is why is that such a visceral issue in the United Kingdom? Uh, because in Ireland, our experience often has been participating in Europe has been a way to demonstrate our sovereignty, whereas the experience in the UK is that it's sort of, it, it has reduced the sovereignty or, or the control. Can you explain the difference and why the two countries have that different perspective? Well, I can't, I can't explain your, your perspective at all, but, but what I, I would say about our own is that we you know, we have a different outlook from the European Union, both economically uh, and I think culturally to an extent, in the sense that if we take the economics of it, Britain's trade with the rest of the world was the greater part of its trade when it joined the EU, and that has remained. And if you look at its economic cycle, it's a sort of mid-Atlantic economic cycle, it tends to move uh, rather differently from the rest of the European Union, which is one of the reasons why I think joining the single currency would have been a disaster for the United Kingdom, um, simply because that difference of economic outlook. If we take the, the political outlook, that was always, the, it was always the key issue, even back in 1975. And uh, we, were, we, weren't, we weren't hoodwinked by the European Union. Um, we were hoodwinked by our own politicians who told us that the treaties didn't mean what they said uh, and that they didn't really mean that there would be a loss of national sovereignty. And I remember Edward Heath saying, no essential loss of national sovereignty. And at each, as each treaty has gone through, we've been told that, no, no, this is thus far and no further. And that um, ever closer union didn't mean it. And th what the British wanted was a more liberalized trading system and greater cooperation, uh, but not shared institutions and political decisions being taken at another level. I mean, it comes down to this. 
we want to be governed by people that we elect and whom we can remove. It's an interesting comment you make because obviously Ireland has a written constitution and therefore each treaty, because it involved pooling sovereignty, required a referendum because the, the Irish courts recognised that it was a pooling of sovereignty and therefore it required the constitution to be amended by the people. And on each occasion, the people... I suppose, realised that 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 process was happening. Um, Whereas perhaps in the UK, the lack of that civic debate on each occasion, as you're you're putting forward the view that the British people were sold something different than than what what the Irish people in other European countries were were sold. Yes, and I make no bones about it. We were sold it by our own politicians. Would you you take the point, uh, Desmond, in terms of... um, in many ways, Ireland was emerging from a, a period of, uh, of uh, colonial power. It was an independent, it was becoming an independent nation. And in many ways, us participating as an equal on the European stage, um, in many ways, it was an expression of sovereignty. Whereas the UK, given that it was going from a position of a former empire, then maybe uh, the Commonwealth and a smaller nation, that that, that, that shaped the each of our different perspectives shaped our view of the European Union, perhaps more than the European Union itself. Uh, that may be right, but uh, but I have I, I just have to have difficulty with with that perspective simply because if I were emerging from uh, a colonial past or colonial rule, or uh, uh, would I want to give away the newly gained sovereignty to some other yeah. um, larger institution? So that would be my. I concern that. Oh, I, 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 I suppose the whole, the whole idea is that we, I suppose, we exchange perspectives, and it is really interesting how how that has happened, how the Irish people did make that decision, and I haven't got to the bottom of why that's happened, um, but it's certainly I know growing up uh, in Ireland, particularly in the eighties, and I would have been working in Germany in nineteen ninety six is when I went to try to work in Germany. There was a feeling of being European as much as Irish. And I, I get from much of the debate in Brexit that that just doesn't exist in the United Kingdom. I think you're right. I, I, and I, to go back to the earlier point you made, I think it was a, a very important one. You're, you're having um, uh, run the, every new treaty and every new concession of sovereignty or pooling of sovereignty past your own people in a referendum. I think it's very significantly different from what happened here, where the European Union changed fundamentally from our referendum in 1975, and we never had another one until the referendum of 2016, by which time, you know, the pressure in the pressure cooker had built up and up and up. And perhaps if we'd had that constitutional check of referendums earlier, and there was a huge head of steam also, in uh, the early 2000s with the uh, European Constitution, the Constitutional Treaty, the the Lisbon Treaty, demand, huge demand for a referendum then. Uh, And we even had in uh, the 1997 election, a referendum party that that, that secured a significant proportion uh, of the vote. So that demand for referendums has been there. And the longer it's been put off, the more the pressure is built and uh, I think that people were quite surprised by the decision that they made in June 2016, but nevertheless, um, uh, quite pleased with it. 
So, so talk to me about the moment where that head of steam started to escape because uh, on uh, the morning of um, uh, 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 after the referendum here in Ireland, it was like a bomb had gone off on our side. Um, much of the known known seemed to be thrown in the air. Uh, but I know for many people on the Brexit side, it was a great sense of celebration. But the question was, did you know what was next? Was there a feeling of what, what arrangements will be put in place? Um, I, my, having campaigned very strongly in that um, uh, referendum and having done sort of 15 uh, public meetings right and debates right across the south of England um, I had only at the last moment started to sense that we might actually uh, win it I, I went to a school a sixth form uh, and debated uh, against um, a colleague uh, in front of an audience of those students who are going to be old enough to vote uh, in the following week and their parents and I lost the debate um, in terms of the votes counted at that debate but I lost it by such a narrow margin I thought that you know crikey amongst this democratic demographic if we can come so close perhaps we're going to pull it off nationally but nevertheless I was still very surprised that um, we won it because I remembered the 1975 experience when there was a two to one lead in the opinion polls for coming out and yet the vote was two to one for staying in and so i thought that people would you know uh, telling pollsters with their hearts what they wanted to vote but when they got into the ballot booths they'd do exactly what they did in 1975 and vote with their pocket uh, because the campaign um on the Remain side was very much aimed at this is going to make you poorer. The, the question was though, did you know what arrangements would be next? Because I think that's, ah. re that's really what dogged the debate then for the, the, for the f subsequent four years. No, um, a number of ideas were floated during the campaign. It was left wide open whether we'd remain um, in the single market whether we'd have some sort of um, Swiss solution or a Norway solution, or whether we would simply negotiate a bespoke free trade deal. All those things were made wide open in the debates uh, during the uh, referendum campaign. So on the morning of the 17th of June, it was, crikey, what, what will happen now? And obviously that had implications both for the Prime Minister, for the leadership of the Tory party, uh, for, um, for political discourse then in, the, in, the, in that parliament. Yes, and I was very surprised um, and very disappointed uh, that the Prime Minister resigned. He made it clear during the campaign that he wasn't going to resign. Um, and I thought at the time that he should have remained and begun the process of negotiating the terms on which we would leave. With hindsight, I actually think that would have been very, very difficult. If he had done what Edward, uh, what um, Harold Wilson had done in 1975, in terms of stepping back from the campaign and letting his subordinates make the running, it might have been possible. But but Cameron was out there, leading from the front with Project Fear, as we called it here, and so I doubt he would ever have gained the trust of the. Um, the Brexiteers, that he was negotiating with the mandate faithfully enough. 
I, I use the analogy that on that morning, well, there was great elation by those who believed in Brexit uh, and the UK side uh, here in Dublin um, and across the island, there was a real shock. And I, I use the phrase known knowns. And, and I suppose the European Union, the British-Irish relationship and ultimately the Good Friday Agreement in many ways was all built on a foundation that began with Irish and British prime ministers talking to each other on the side of um, of European Council meetings and then the relationship growing and ultimately the the Irish and British people coming to a settlement that was the Good Friday Agreement. So let me put one point to you that many people listening to the podcast will be saying is that one of the principles of the Good Friday Agreement was the principle of consent. So uh, if you take the good for the, the peace process, many would say it started with John Major and Albert Reynolds at the Downing Street Declaration. They effectively said in that declaration that Britain had no selfish, strategic or economic interest in Northern Ireland. It's a, an amazing thing for a government to say about uh, a part of, it, of its country, but that was, the, that was the statement that was made. And it was actually quite... It built confidence um, in the nationalist communities that the British government were up for a deal. It ultimately led to the Good Friday Agreement where the people of Ireland agreed to the principle of consent that the Union's people, once they were in the majority, that they, they had the right to remain part of the UK. And it led to us removing our constitutional claim. And I suppose one of the, one of the problems with Brexit has been it has raised that issue of does Britain still have no selfish strategic or economic interest in Northern Ireland? Because at each point in the negotiations, it's inevitable that it does. I think it fundamentally still remains the issue of consent uh, and the agreement is built on consent. And so long as the uh, people of Northern Ireland consent and wish to remain part of the United Kingdom, that's the fundamental principle. And the moment that that changes and they want some other constitutional settlement, well, that's when that, that comes in. But I don't see um, that- um, would, you, would, you, would you, like, because obviously the principle of consent in the Good Friday Agreement is limited to the issue of membership of the union. But I suppose there's many in, in, in the Republic that would say that that principle of consent should also apply in, in principle to the position on the European Union, because the majority of people in Northern Ireland did wish to remain in the European Union. They vote, a majority did indeed vote to remain in the European Union, but the, but the, 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 the Belfast Agreement is not an agreement about the European Union. It's a, a, an agreement about the union with the United Kingdom. Now, clearly, it's for the people of Northern Ireland to weigh up, well, which, which of those two things is most important to me? And if that changes the dynamic and changes the way that the people of Northern Ireland would vote in terms of the question about the union, then, then of course, that would, that, would, that would represent their consent to uh, change the constitutional arrangement. But there's no evidence of that yet. Yeah, no, I, I take your point, um, although I do think the trajectory is going in that direction. But I think one of the sad things about Brexit has been that the Good Friday Agreement allowed a lot of people put down the constitutional question and live their lives and share the island and go about their work. Um, and your point is correct. They now have to choose. And that is so unfortunate after such a long period of conflict. Um, 
with an unjustifiable use of 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 uh, a force on my from my perspective a totally unjustifiable use of force um um but it's su such a sad thing that having allowed everybody to put down the constitutional question and get on with their lives brexit in many ways has forced them to pick it up again and to put people into camps well let's see how it goes because um my hope is that it won't change much at all in terms of the freedom of movement um, across the island and indeed I want to hang on to as much freedom of movement between the United Kingdom and the rest of Europe. I want our students to go to European universities and uh, European students to come to our universities and I want us, let's face it, we, we still share a huge amount of our fundamental um, interests Yes, uh, and, uh, and I want that cooperation to continue. But yeah. as I, I, I would you believe, uh, Desmond, on the first day that I was elected to the Dáil, um, the first parliament after I was elected was actually Westminster, not uh, the Dáil Éireann, because I was attending as, as Lord Mayor with the Lord Mayor of Belfast to try and promote people to come to the island of Ireland. Uh, of course, we, we didn't know what was to come in this year with, with the coronavirus and so on. But I said that in, in a speech there that in many ways, the people of the islands had 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 operated in spite of the arrangements on the uh, 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 on the islands rather than uh, because of them. So I think you're right. The people of these islands will absolutely get on with business and will get on with doing uh, their families and so on. I suppose there's a lot of people though in Ireland that were. I suppose they feel like uh, that the British government, certainly in the last year, are sort of playing what I call Brexit Jenga, uh, that they're pulling this fundamental principle that they won't act selfishly or strategically regarding Northern Ireland. Uh, and by doing that, it leaves it open for the whole peace process to, un to unravel. So it's a concern that's out there by many people. Well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry that that's the case, but certainly that's not the way we see it here. Um, we want to have, we, we want an agreement, um, a, a trade agreement. We want it to be to our mutual advantage and we don't want there to be problems in Northern Ireland. And, and I don't think that the fundamental question of the consent of the people of Northern Ireland to remaining in the Union has changed at all. Certainly not from our perspective. Yeah, well, let, let's, let's and, move. And, let, and let's so move. Go, sorry, go ahead, Desmond. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it, it, it's, it, we are so intermarried and integrated. I mean, my, my, my wife's family are from Galway, um, and there are so many people of Irish descent in the United Kingdom um, that, you know, the, the notion of some sort of um, uh, less than amicable separation is, it, it would be tragic in my view. Yeah, I, I, I think all, everyone agrees on that. The problem is, as we move into uh, these arrangements now, um, they're, 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 the arrangements are complicated, incredibly complicated, and therefore there can be there can be consequences to that. So let's move on to the arrangements that it, obviously the backstop and then the withdrawal agreement. I know you reluctantly supported the withdrawal agreement on the basis that it was the best way of getting out, um, but it was ultimately a commitment by the British government that the customs arrangements on the island of Ireland would remain within the European Union custom arrangements um, to avoid the need for a border and that there would be uh, customs arrangements between the island of Ireland and what many people call the mainland or the, 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 the island of Great Britain. 
yes, with a very light touch. Yes, and, and that really is, I suppose the details of that really are the crux of it, aren't they, Desmond? The, the details of what that looks like. Why do you think there's the current impasse then between the European Union and the British government on this issue? Well, I mean, do you, by current impasse, do you mean that the, the act that went through the Commons, well, the, the, the bill that went through the Commons yesterday, the, um, the, the internal markets bill? Yeah, but I, I suppose it would be fair to say that all of the discussions around the future relationship are based on the British government's view that they want access to a single market, and on the other side, the European Union's view that, yes, you can have access to the single market, but there's certain rules by which you need to play by. And that's sort of the impasse that has happened really since the beginning of the future, future relationship talks have started. Well, I, 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 I see it differently. I, I think that the, 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 the arguments, the, certainly the arguments that are playing that have led here until very recently, have been issues over fishing, over the extent to which we would have to abide by European uh, rules in respect of our access to your markets. So yes. that's where the focus has been here. The focus has only re recently moved to what would happen in Northern Ireland um, as a consequence of the introduction of the Internal Markets Bill, which is, from our point of view, purely a response to threats that were made during the negotiating yeah. process. Well, let's put the entire market bill to one side just for a moment, because I think it in many ways was a symptom of the problem, as a hard border would be a symptom of the problem. But isn't there this underlying conflict between the two sides, where on the one side, the British government want to have access to the single market, but don't necessarily want to be governed by or linked with the standards um, adjudication uh, and conditions uh, uh, that, that that single market um, is governed by. Would, would that be a fair assessment? I think that there's certainly an element of that, but, but, but we, we would settle for a Canada agreement. Um, and it seems very odd to us that after 40 years as being one of the biggest net contributors to the European Union's finances and the closeness of our relationship, that we can't get the same deal um, that Canada got. Yeah, I, I suppose the difficulty is uh, Britain is not Canada and its proximity is really important. Uh, I think the real concern is, and I've seen it in much of the, we, we're, we're, we benefit from having access to BBC and ITV and, and, and Sky, so we get a lot of British media here and so we can see the perspective um, of where you're coming from. But what, what we can't understand is, um, let's say for example, state aid is permitted. So British government is allowed to support British companies in exporting to the European Union. But Irish, the Irish government or the German government are not permitted to state aid companies. Effectively, you would be creating a situation where European Union companies would be at a disadvantage in their own single market. Yeah. Um, there's a great deal of state aid that goes on in the European Union, notwithstanding the rules. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a quandary about all this. You see, why would we be holding out over the issue of state aid? Because I'm a conservative. I don't believe in state yes. aid. I believe in subsidising. And I wonder, you know, what on earth is a conservative government making such a, a meal of state aid over? We don't believe in it. I can't, I can't work it out. 
Well, well, maybe an area where a Conservative MP might have a view on would be, let's say, for example, employment conditions. And I know the social charter was always an issue with the Maastricht Treaty. Um, but let's say, for example, um, Britain sought to create lower employment standards or lower environmental standards um, for, its, uh, for companies operating within Britain. And those companies were allowed then provide goods into the European market. Wouldn't that again put European Union countries at a disadvantage in their own single market? Yes, but our fear is that that would happen the other way around, actually, because we, we are, uh, our appetite in the European Union has always been for those higher standards in terms of, certainly in terms of uh, environmental standards. Um, uh, and we've tended to be more ambitious in those respects. I, I agree with you that it, it's not been the case with working standards, which we've regarded the matter uh, uh, a matter for individual countries to make their own rules. But I think when you encounter those difficulties, that's, that's, when, you, that's when you say, right, well, if you do that, then I'm afraid it comes with a consequence. And we, we all recognize that, that if we were to um, make ourselves so much more competitive in a way that, that gave us an advantage because of the, 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 the nature of the rules, it would be perfectly proper for, I think, for the European Union to say, well, you know, if you're going to do that, it comes with a consequence and the consequence will be a tariff to remove the competitive edge that you've acquired by um, lower standards. Yeah, and look, I think it was put very succinctly to me, or certainly the Irish perspective was put very succinctly to me by a man in my local pub. Um, and he said to me, uh, he, he affectionately referred to you as the Brits. I don't know whether he was being affectionate or not, Desmond. But he was saying that uh, the Brits want to play in the golf club, not pay the golf fees and play by different rules than everybody else. But they still want to play in the golf club. Well, with respect to the fees, you know, we've parted with a, with a fair amount of treasure and there's still a lot more to come. Yeah. And Ireland is now moving into a point of being a net contributor. We have been now for a number of years. It will be interesting to see whether that changes the, uh, the view of the European Union in Ireland, um, because it certainly was a massive uh, uh, factor in the, uh, in the Brexit debate. Mm. Yeah, so... I mean, my perception is that, the, 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 that certainly Ireland has benefited a great deal from uh, the European Union. It, you know, it's had a huge amount of uh, inward investment as a consequence of its membership. And I can quite understand why uh, the Irish are so much more enthusiastic about it than we are. Well, let me put down the final question to you. As a member of the uh, Conservative and Unionist Party, the union, I'm sure, is very important to you. Um, would it be a bitter, unintended consequence if the Brexit debate led to uh, a change in, in, in the Union? For example, I think certainly Scotland ha has a view that it would like to remain within the European Union. Um, in Ireland, there is a view that we need to start preparing for the debate uh, on a shared island because or, or Irish unity, because whether we like it or not, it may be foisted on us. Um, and we, we obviously want unity, but we want to make sure that we don't recreate a conflict and that we really do uh, have an opportunity to work with unions. So as somebody who has fought for a long time to, to secure Brexit, would it be a bitter unintended consequence if it undermined the union? Uh, yes, it would. 
but if that is the will of the people of Scotland and of Northern Ireland, this, you know, I, I, fundamentally, I'm a Democrat. I don't believe that for one moment you can hold on to parts of uh, the, uh, the kingdom if it's the settled will of the people there that they want a different constitutional arrangement. Um, I would I, I'd be very sad. I'd be very sad to see uh, the United Kingdom uh, cease to exist. I wouldn't want to be just an Englishman. Um, I want to be a Brit. Uh, and, and I would think that's very sad, but I, I don't think that we're there yet. Well, uh, no, uh, there's a lot of people who believe that the, the growing nationalist population uh, in Ireland presents an, presents an opportunity to secure unity. Uh, I know within my party in Fianna Fáil, there's a lot of people that believe we need to do a lot of work in advance of that to really persuade unions that they would be part of a shared island um, and, and we would have to have a lot of discussions around our own constitutional arrangements and so on. But there is the idea that the demographics are changing in Northern Ireland and that Brexit in many ways has given many young people the opportunity to reevaluate uh, whether the union is still important to them. I think that may well be the case, but I think that the uh, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. I think that, you know, we've got to, you know, let's wait two or three years or even longer down the line to see how Brexit actually works out uh, and the difference that it makes and how big a deal it turns out to have been. Well, Desmond, I have to say, thank you so much for uh, contributing your perspective uh, from Brexit. We've We've heard from you in many ways uh, on different occasions uh, in the media, but it's great to chat, chat with you. Uh, and I hope that in exchanging uh, the two perspectives, we both as parliamentarians uh, get the opportunity to learn. And so uh, perhaps we get an opportunity to speak to you again, Desmond, at a future date. Right. Amen to that. Thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for tuning in uh, for what was another episode of our podcast. If you have ideas about topics you want us to cover, drop me an email and we'll see you all again soon.